Hello and welcome. You're about to listen to a conversation that I recorded with Daniel Schiff. Daniel is a clinical psychologist and a practicing Reikian therapist. Not Reiki, but Reikian, sometimes called orgone therapy, and at times even bioenergetics, a sort of modern evolution of Reikian work. It's a type of therapy that really deals with the body and the character, our personality, as it's expressed in our body, and the ways that we restrict the energy and emotionality of our body from expressing itself, with, which in the Reikian approach is often considered so much of our struggle, the ways we restrict or even at times are too open and loose and can't be in contact with our experience as it is. You know, I first met Daniel in an interesting way, I was at a conference and I was trying to talk and I was doing a hand movement, kind of opening and closing my hand to try to communicate something. And someone in the group I was with was like, oh, did you go see Daniel? He was doing that hand movement too. Uh, I, I was like, no, I, I don't really know much about Daniel. And then later that day on the train going home, there was Daniel and we had a conversation and I enjoyed talking to him and actually didn't really even think about him for years, you know. And then I went through some difficulty where the Zen community I was a part of for many years kind of fell apart. And it really hit me hard because it touched on a lot of loss and grief and wounding I had from my own history when my dad left me as a child. And I remember I was sitting in my kitchen and I just started crying and these waves of tears just rolled over me. And it must have been an hour where I just sat there crying, which for me was like real growth because over the years I, I couldn't cry. I almost had to learn how to cry and feel again. And in that moment of really being with these emotions, really letting these waves of grief, pain, and sorrow move through me, I realized that I couldn't talk to another person about it, that I couldn't call a friend and tell them that I was hurting that I had learned to hurt f with myself, but I couldn't hurt with another. And it was in that moment I realized I had to go back to therapy. I had taken a break, I'd been in therapy for like seven years and decided, you know, I'm good now. And in that moment I realized that I wanted to be able to share myself with others more fully, which is still a work in progress for me. And Daniel being my therapy trainer and at times my therapist too has really helped me to open up and how I can let others see me and I don't need to hide myself as much. So for that, I'm incredibly grateful to Daniel um, and for what he's taught me and how to work with others. In this conversation, we'll touch on a whole wide range of things, but really focusing on the body and the way the character, what's often called the character armor in Reikian therapy, is expressed in the body. The way we become rigid and hold our body in certain ways to restrict the movement of life through our body. Often emotions and different feelings we have that we were told, as Daniel says, indoctrinated to believe are not okay. That we can't feel them, so we cut them off. And then we feel cut off from ourselves from others in the world and we often feel dead or lost inside 
So, so much of Daniel's work is helping us to be alive again, as he would say, like a child, to have the aliveness, the richness, the presence and the fluidity of a child again, but in our adult bodies, in our adult minds. So yeah, if you're interested in tapping the aliveness that is inherent to who you are, there might be some gems for you in this podcast. So please enjoy. Thank you. Hey, Daniel. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. You know, there's a, a few people I've met in my life that I really consider master therapists. They like really know, seem to know the terrain. Um, and you're definitely one of them that I have. Oh. You know, not that you're perfect. I don't want to say that, but you seem to thank, thank you for that. <laughs> but like cl close enough. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm withdrawing my thanks. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you're someone that you know and seems to spend a, a long time learning how to be in the therapeutic space with others mm. and mm -hmm. using that space to support healing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm mm -hmm. wondering for you kind of what first drew you into that space, like when you first got called to be a therapist, because uh -huh. I know you were initially studying of physics, right? Or Right. That's right. That's good memory. Good memory. Yes. Yeah. You know, it was really, I remember it was a, uh, when I was living in California, this is probably, you know, early 1970s, there was a like a, a, a show on the public radio station. And it was some fellow, and then they called it the wounded healer. Mm. And, and probably that's a term that maybe you know or don't know is a term that, you know, was around there, but really captured me. It was essentially, the theme is that so many people go into some sort of healing space or work, come from their own wounds, mm -hmm. you know, that, and that leads them into that terrain. And that essentially was very true for me. I resonated with that because it, it rang like, yes, you know, I got into working as a therapist, not necessarily because that was my first interest. My first interest and in actually talent was in mathematics and physics. And that, that my, my idea of myself was that I was going to teach, teach mathematics, teach physics or, you know, something in that realm, because I love teaching. Uh, but that was the realm I was really good in. But because of my own emotional state, because of really feeling cut off from people, cut off from myself, really, really in pain, oh. I, I fortuitously, it seems in retrospect, mm -hmm. you know, became involved with working with kids with emotional problems, that was recalled oh. at that time. Yeah, you went and right to the source. In a I way. went right to the source. That's a nice way of saying it. I went right to the source. And as I went to that source and found that I could do that, I started, in, in your language, in this language, coming to my own source. Mm. Mm -hmm. and, and realizing that that was the work I wanted to do which was so apart from anything. And this was when I was just, you know, 
a freshman in college, just, you know, we was in between freshman and sophomore year and getting a, you know, getting a summer job and literally falling into something that I didn't know really existed and finding something that existed for me. What and kind that's, of context were you working with kiddos in at that I, point? I was in the East Coast. I grew up in Brooklyn and New York, and there would be these, you know, New East Coast, a lot of summer camps that would be oh, up in yeah. upstate New York, or in this one was in, uh, in you know, rural Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And it would be, it was a camp for kids with emotional disturbances, you know, whatever, a wide range. And I needed a job and I got a job as a counselor, you yeah. know, and, and so there I was working with these kids, you know, never done that before. And it, it, it touched me. And, you yeah, know, I'm c- curious as you talk, just yeah. about my idea of someone that's drawn to mathematics and yes. physics mm-hmm. and then being thrown into like a camp setting, working with kids in emotional distress. Yeah. Uh-huh. Did you feel you like touched into almost a different part of yourself that like you hadn't had as much contact with kind of? Yeah, yeah, I think I think you could say that. I don't know if I was so cognizant of that. Yeah. I, ju- I just knew that that's that I was doing this and I felt this connection. Mm. And I felt suddenly that I was tapping into something that had more meaning for me. Oh, yeah. Like there was a basic sort of truth there for you that you were connecting to. Yes. And 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 I was contributing in a way. Oh yeah. You know, maybe in ret- as I'm speaking right now, it kind of dovetailed with me as a teacher, me as, you know, mm-hmm. in that way. But and I was connecting in a way emotionally. And then that's totally switched. I I dropped out of one school and went to another school to study psychology and made my parents very unhappy yeah i was wondering my... <laughs> about that part <laughs> yes they they were not too pleased by by my choice and you know just totally changed my my path mm-hmm. and and in the course of that in the course of that i began to re- realize that you know that me as helping children i needed help myself yeah, yeah. You know, and that led me into a whole path of intensive therapy and and all those things that you know that set me on this course of being a, a mm-hmm. therapist, psychologist. Yeah. What were some of the things in the early days that you were connecting to that were sort of facilitating your growth and healing? Mm. Things meaning. Uh, the different moment. I mean, it was a different time then, right? In the 70s. Yeah, it was totally. What was being being offered. Right. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, in the things that I was attracted to then still feel so true to me now. Yeah. But what was attracted to me then, what I was attracted to, there were three schools then, Mm -hmm. real major schools of therapy. There was behaviorism, there was humanistic psychology, transpersonal psychology. Oh, and that was emerging was, when you that were was still... emerging, oh, yes. Cool. And then there was uh, psychodynamic, psychoanalytic. Mm-hmm. Those were the three, the three pillars. Mm-hmm. You know? And and I found, you know, very much in terms of working with kids, you know, that it was the humanistic stance that really, really spoke to me. But at the same time. I found a lot of value in the psychoanalytic stance. Mm-hmm. And well, throughout my 
understanding career. I've always walked in those two paths and tried to bring them together because I don't really feel they, they're all that separate in many ways. And increasingly as psychoanalysis has developed, it's just merged. In fact, so many schools of therapy has merged over time. But I was very much then drawn to Gestalt therapy, which, you know, yeah, yeah. that's how we met. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Yeah, my Gestalt therapy, therapy training. Yeah. And, right, through Gestalt yeah. therapy, you know, non-directive humanistic therapy, mm -hmm. you know, existential therapy. And, yeah. But simultaneously, uh, because of Gestalt therapy, I was interested in working with the somatic aspects of that. And that led me to some of Reich's psychoanalytic works, which kind of and, dovetailed. Yeah. And before you know, we jump into Reich yeah. too much, can you name, like when you say somatically oriented, like what that means for you or what that yeah. meant then? Well, Gestalt therapy in those days focused a lot on somatic processes, like awareness, mm -hmm. like tuning into one's body, one's behavior, how you were holding yourself, how you were breathing, how you were talking, how you were making contact, not just in your ideas, but as a physical presence with mm. the other. And in, in being an experiential therapy, it had you do all these different kind of experiments that they call, or, you know, little awareness kind of things, which really addressed the somatic aspects, like what do you put your awareness on? Close your eyes and listen and see what you're listening to. And then you open up your eyes and what comes into your awareness. You pay attention to what you're eating or how you're eating or how you're tasting things. All those things around awareness that pretty much put the organismic, the body, the somatic as, a cent as central. Yeah. And you it know, sounds in there too that the senses being a real doorway. The senses, in, right. Into that somatic right. experiencing. Exactly. And that the emotions were totally tied in and connected to that. There wasn't really a split between those somatic sensory processes, muscular movement processes, and the emotions. The emotions were all part of that. Mm -hmm. And it had an organismic kind of understanding yeah. that we're organisms. So I was always, I was very attracted to that and probably in retrospect because of my scientific nature. Yeah, yeah which I, is which is interesting, right? Because I come from a different generation than yes. And yeah. I studied Gestalt and then now studying Reiki and work mm -hmm. with you. Yeah. Like the organismic language is so difficult for me. Ah. Because it uh -huh. feels so like mechanistic and sort uh -huh. of, it has a it here it sounds old to me when I listen to it. Yeah, because it is so old. <laughs> and it was like cutting edge in the 50s. It right? was it was totally cutting edge. It was totally cutting edge. And now I feel older as I'm speaking to you. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> but yes, it was cutting edge and the language is old, you know, yeah. but it was capturing something that, you know, that really rang true to me. And it captured something that really rang true to me in working with children. Mm. Yeah, what do you see there with children where that because because, because children are not relating through their heads, so to speak, mm. or just through language. Mm -hmm. You know, they're relating through their emotions, through the behavior, through movement. You have to engage them mm. in this, depending upon their age, in a much more free flow 
of of feeling, affect, thought, behavior, you know, yeah. and you know, and with children, you're not just sitting in a chair and just, <laughs> you know, kind tell of me, t- tell me what happened last week. That, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, children don't engage in that way. You know? Yeah. But you, you, you know, you know, and the way I was with children and still are with children is that, you know, they bring out something in me, I bring out something in them. There was this kind of a meeting. So the sense of energy and life force and organism were all there yeah. in working with children. And that's, I think, why I resonated with these approaches. And in that, right, just what you're saying there, the, the senses, the organism, the mm-hmm. energy, yeah. so, so ties into Reich, who right. became a, a pillar for you in ways. Of it your... did. He did. Yeah. Yes. Could, you, could you dive into Reich a little okay. bit? And well, you... I, I will, because <laughs> Reich, Reich is, a whole, is a whole story in itself, you know, yeah. which I'll, I'll tell a little bit of the story. Yeah, but essentially, for me, I fell into Reich. Mm-hmm. And just like I, I think I fell in, as I'm saying, I fell into working in psychology and working with children. I was, I became very attracted at this time. So this is 1970, 71, with primal therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, sort of the screen game. It was stuff. the screen. Yes, there was yeah. a book called the primal screen, mm-hmm. and I was so attracted to that. And because the message I took from the primal screen was this. You know, we are repressing very deep emotions, Mm, mm -hmm. very deep expressions of life. And unless we unlock them, not just through our minds, we talk about them, but unless we deeply go into experiencing them and bringing them forth, we will forever be trapped. What do we, and trapped, can you stay with Trapped. We will be able, we remain apart from our true self. Mm-hmm. We would be contained. Okay. Yeah. And so it was it was it it was further and more radical than Gestalt therapy, which touched the emotions. But here it was literally the idea that you had to literally feel it and embody it and writhe with it and bring the pain, the fear, mm. the joy, whatever, out into the world and out from yourself. Yeah, like and, through your organism. Yes, that's those right. Those energies express themselves exactly. into the world. Right. And such and so therefore the primal scream, the literal scream. Yes. Not in just an internal, I hear a scream, mm-hmm. but I literally scream. And I've never primal screamed. I always knew of it as a sort of popular thing when a lot of the other modalities like the yes and things were emerging yes. and it seems to have faded a bit oh it's a yes I, this I idea think that like yes. catharsis doesn't bring about long-standing exactly. change exactly but exactly. i'm curious for you like when you did it right when you were in the scream was there like a bit of play at first like you had to kind of play yourself into the scream and then at some point it becomes real like what was it like actually kind of engaging in the scream when you were doing it. Yeah, well, well, you know, it, it, what it was is as I got into it, I, uh, after I finished college, I left for California to, to be primal screaming. Oh, you, you, know? you like fall. <laughs> I, you know, and, you, you and, like friends are falling the dead and you follow the right. scream. <laughs> I followed the scream. That's right. I followed the scream. And then the approach that I was using, I, I, I couldn't afford the, the real troops primal scream janov arthur janov who was who was 
who originated that and mm-hmm. was doing it in, I think, you know, Beverly Hills, California or something like that. So I couldn't afford that, but there was some offshoots of that. So you got like, some like secondhand screen? Secondhand screen. <laughs> got it. Secondhand screen. And, and what I did was that we would all, it would be like therapy, but we would all be in a group together. Mm-hmm. And we'd be working with one another. So it would be like self-help kind of doing. And people would be laying down and talking and using imagery and stuff like that, all in the same room. So we'd be listening to one another and hearing one another, but in one's own process. And that mm-hmm. became synergistic mm-hmm. to one another. And, you know, one thing would trigger another and and then suddenly there would be stronger emotions and then you'd be encouraged. You'd be encouraged uh, to move with the emotion, to let the emotion come forth. If there was something you wanted to do physically to, you know, to hit or to, you know, writhe or whatever it is to mm. let your voice out or whatever, you know, and in the process of doing that, in the process of doing that, for me, what happened is that memories and insights would occur because when you know now you activate emotions you activate the whole complex that have to do with the emotions the thoughts and the behaviors and all yeah. of that that go along with it kind of held so, in the body keeps the score which is yes exactly popular phrase yes, now. exactly yeah. the body keeps the score because you know the body but you know that the whole kind of connection between emotion and feeling and body and somatic process. Mm-hmm. Once you open up one aspect of that can, it starts to come out. Yeah. And in, in Buddhism, we have this idea of the Prajna Paramita Heart Sutra. And the uh, whole, the whole thing is like, none of these things are separate. Exactly. Like there's a phrase, no eye, no ear, no tongue, no body, no mind. Cause they're all right. like one experience, but That's we like right. to look at it sort of through different lenses. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That fits so well. And when you're experiencing it, when you're deeply in the experience, part of being deeply in the experience is not to have them distinct from one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. they kind of become one. They become one because you're one with it. You're one with that emotion, with that feeling state, with that energy. I appreciate you describing the primal scream because I had such a cliche version of it in my mind. Like people sitting around a circle and they're just screaming together. But it it sounds much more nuanced as you talk about it. It it really was. And it was was an entree. But Mm. what I noticed in the entree of it, and it opened, I I went through a number, I went primal scream and then I came back and then I went through another institute that had the primal scream stuff. But somehow in there with one of my therapists later on was into Reich's work. And that's how I began to study more of Reich's work. And in reading Reich's work, he understood, I felt he understood the process of how emotion needs to be addressed and, and, and brought forth in a way where the primal scream seemed to be a little too global. Mm. It didn't seem to be as systematic. It wasn't as systematic as I began to understand through Reich's work, as well as Reich talked about energy, life energy, which Primal Janov didn't really speak about. And he also spoke about, very eloquently, the effect of society on deadening the life process. And all of those things really resonated with me. And so I fell into Reich's work through the primal screen. Yeah. When, and, when you say that, I hear the kind of how that would resonate based on what you were talking about earlier, of mm-hmm. kind of feeling cut off or 
like uh i don't know the language you yes earlier, but yes like that sort of dead yes. inside is right where, exactly exactly yeah. and yes. then with right it sounds like there was more precision and there's the, more precision in the we're, process we're, of activating or working towards those emotions right and 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 yes in the process of actually doing therapy mm -hmm. i felt that right because right seemed to in my mind understand the real sense between how we mold ourselves in a way to defend ourselves against negative feelings inside but also to accommodate the society as we take in the society both mm. ideationally and somatically into what he called the character or the armor and i like those concepts they seem to be true they seem to fit with my working with children mm. and it, and it my resonated towards what you were seeing in the exactly exactly yeah. and it resonated with my interest in psychoanalysis and all those things together that moved me into reich's work and that was probably in 1972 or something like that and i continued with it yeah, how, how long is it how long have you been with reich now sort of as a man well if, if it was 72 what does that make it oh yeah i could do math you're the math yeah. guy oh right <laughs> that's right but i forgot about oh yeah so that that makes it what 50 49 years yeah. Yeah. So 49 years you've kind of been, and you're not like a, a purist, right? Where you're just only right. It sounds no, like no. In working with you over the years, you've stayed up to date on the current sort of yeah, well, milieu. Well, but maybe that makes us a purist. Me, it makes me a purist because Reich was not a purist. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Reich himself was continually adapting and integrating and attempting to broaden his conceptual field and understanding of what he was encountering. So the whole idea of becoming a purist or fundamentalist in any particular way would be anti-fundamental Reich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind yeah, of right. a, a <laughs> twist on that. If Reich were here, he might call you out if he did that. <laughs> exactly. If Reich would hear, were here, he might do that. If he yeah. was still interested at all in any of the things, he, <laughs> he would be creating weather storms still. And <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, there was something you said just a moment ago that really I was drawn to, and kind of it sounded like your naming of like character armor. Yeah, and the way that like emotions get activated or arise, mm -hmm. and the yeah. way that the armor blocks it, and that yeah. relationship to society. Yeah, could. Could you hang out there a bit more sure. and kind of expand on that? Because that seems sure. like such a central principle to Reich right. and our mm -hmm. suffering in the world. Like it is. We, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Reich, just in a historical context, you know, Reich was a student of Freud. And and this was, you know, in the early, early 1910, 1920 mm. 1920s, 1920s, uh, late 20s, actually. It was right after the war, actually, World War One where he started becoming a student and a medical student and then started taking up learning psychoanalysis. Anyway, he introduced early on in trying to understand, well, how does therapy work or not work or how do we actually engage in repression? Mm -hmm. He saw that repression was not just ideational in terms of a, a thinking mechanism, but he noticed that we repress our feelings or we you know, we defend ourselves in a whole organismic way through our musculature, through the way we breathe, through the way we walk, through our 
through what he called our character attitudes, our character ways in which we embody ourselves in the world. And that's the way we begin to know ourselves. So the organism, the organism, the biological organism, this is how we would talk about it later, forms, forms in a certain way so as to accommodate itself to what the environment is allowing or not allowing, to keep itself safe. And when you say environment, they're often like the family, the, the family culture, environment, the culture, school, the family. Exactly. Like, exactly. Like all the places we sort of inhabit and have exactly. to fit exactly. into. Exactly. Though, though for Reich, as was for psychoanalysis, and, and as we speak about now in contemporary psychology understanding, those early years, that environment when we're quite young, which then becomes the environment of the family, has the most profound effects. Mm -hmm. okay? Because we're still growing, because we're so malleable, because we're still we're just organizing ourselves as 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 you know beings in the world. Yeah. Okay. So Reich would say that you know if you know if the attitude in the family was be a man, so to speak, whatever that yeah. particular man, suddenly you have to be a man. If the man means not cry, if it means stand up straight, it means in, you know, don't, don't show softness, weak. don't be weak. Okay. Yeah. You what you what do we do is then organismically we form ourselves in a way that we're not weak. So we rigidify in our spine, maybe, mm. or stick out our chest so we can't really fully exhale, or rigidify our eyes, or rigid our, 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 our jaw, do different kind of maneuvers in our body, which essentially prevent us from being weak. Yeah. And what, when you're saying there, right, that energy moves through us, yeah. and whether that's even sadness or these like yes, emotions exactly. that connect to weakness. That's right. We have to do something to them to contain them so That's they don't right. get expressed. Yes, we have to stop it. Yeah. Okay. We have to stop it. And that stopping it is manifest again in the bio biology and in our behavior, what Wright called the character, mm -hmm. in our musculature. And he noticed that in therapy with people, they hey, had to address that in mm. therapy, those defenses in order for a person to really begin to feel those emotions mm. and then go to the underlying issues that the person was defending against. Reich introduced, as I understand it, the road to insight is through the emotions. Mm -hmm. It's not through observing the emotions. It's not through going, as we talk now more, top down as the yeah, language now like cerebrally cerebrally like addressing yes. our emotions talking about them, that's right like analyzing yeah. that was the psychoanalysis it was you can get to that how you really have to get to it was by opening up the feeling states and the doorway to the feeling state for reich was through this body armoring or the character process right right the body armoring and the behavioral armoring mm. and the thinking armoring, yeah. all having to do with the total character. Yeah. So Reich would start pointing those things out. Yeah, you know, with, which is uncomfortable. Which was uncomfortable. <laughs> when yes. you're in that position. That That's right. It was uncomfortable. And people <laughs> would become uncomfortable. And as they became uncomfortable, and those they would be moved off of their usual point 
of comfort. Oh yeah, they had, yeah, thank you. this is great. <laughs> and as they were moved off of the usual point of contact, some of their emotions and behaviors would start to break through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Reich would work with that so that there would be a freedom. And then there would be what you would term catharsis, Yeah, you know, essentially that the repressed emotions would come through. And with that would be the insights, but also with that would be a reorganization of the way the person was in the world. Yeah. I don't yeah. have to be, I don't have to be, I can be a strong man without being a rigid man. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. You know? And, but in order to really be that, I've got to change the biophysical. I've got to change the physicality in me so I can actually soften. Yeah. But if I actually soften, then I'm actually going to feel these feelings. And then I'm going to have to deal with the conflicts that I have about, oh, I'm not supposed to feel these feelings. Yeah. And so it's all wrapped together. And Reich articulated that very beautifully to me. And, and, and that's what attracted me. It yeah. was a far more sophisticated understanding of that process than primal screening, which, which seemed to me far more global. And yet they were talking about something very similar. The deep emotional expressions were being repressed, inhibited, based upon what the interface between the person and the environment. When, when I hear you say emotions here, I, I kind of hear it in two ways. I hear it as like the, maybe the, emo the past emotions that have been repressed and are yeah. sort of still stuck or locked in the yeah. body that we have to find our way to and need mm -hmm. to be released or could be released. Yes. But also that like emotions arise in the moment in certain yeah. contexts. Like you were talking about the, the man who works on this idea of weakness and starts to let softness through yes. the, when softness arises to like make room for it and let it come mm -hmm. out. Yeah. Like that's all I got. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's, that's good. Yeah. The way I, I've come to think about it is I don't know if really past emotions are locked in the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what happens is that there are just some processes in terms of how we can contact and feel and express emotions that, you know, that, you know, that become armor, that aren't really working. And once you begin to change that, then how you think when you think about what happened in the past, you are able then to relate to it from a more emotional stance because you have access to that. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty nuanced view that you open up the this is just what I'm hearing. You yeah. open up the 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 character arming, whether that's yeah. the behavior or the body. And as that opens and you experience these emotions maybe for the first time in a while or in a mm -hmm. more pure way, yeah. if there is pure, right. like that the, you remember and you connect to these past experiences because these emotions can flow through. Right, that's right. And you connect it to him through your now emotions. But all of that connecting is in the present. Mm -hmm. Okay, We're not in the past, we're in the present. So you're connecting to memory from where you are now in your changed biophysical state or characterological state to those situations from the past, but now you're connecting to it. And so you can remember things, this is the way I see it, where you remember certain things, but now you remember, wow, you know, now I remember 
being angry, or as I remember it, I feel angry. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I couldn't feel angry. Okay. Yeah. But it's all in the present. And yeah. it's all reorganizing how we are as we function now. The past lives in the present. The present moves toward the future. And it's all all here. What be here now? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. Ramdas has been Ram on that. Ramdas, they might as well date me on that one. Oh no, I'm I'm really into Ramdas okay. right now. Okay. He's, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. had a resurgence after he died. Oh, oh, oh he has. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. At least okay. for me. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that, that's an N of one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But when you say that, though, a part of me, like, you know, thinks back to my own moments of, like, mm-hmm. you know, some part of the body opening up, whether it's like yeah. the gut or somewhere yeah. where I have a harder time inhabiting. Yes. And it seems the moment that it opens, the memories are there, like, pretty. Yes. Like it's pretty, it's almost instantaneous. Like, yes. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. Like as this opens, I'm also three again, like in my crib, exactly. in my crib, exactly. alone and wondering where someone is. Mm-hmm. And yes. it, it gets really kind of soupy and messy. Yes, the moment. exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that would lead you and, and, you know, correctly to kind of say, well, the emotions are locked in there. Yeah. But maybe too, it's like you have these memory states, mm-hmm. you know, and once you connect with that emotional state it connects you to the past where those memory where those feelings were yeah you know to those memories it is very frequent in therapy that is that as people begin to feel these more alive states whether it's in the heart whether it's Mm -hmm. in the pelvis whether it's in the belly whether it's in the eyes very often they go back into a far earlier time when it was before it was stopped yeah my, my mind's drifting in a way i like yeah. right now but i don't yeah. know if it's gonna make much sense okay but like well, one thing i'm hearing as you talk is like so we open up these emotions and these charged or more yeah. beautiful in way emotions yes and that when we open them we go back as you said to this point where they're stuck yeah and it's almost like we have to clean them out like clean yeah. them out of the residue that stuck them. Like, uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah. that maybe loneliness is no longer being three in a crib. Like I can yeah. feel loneliness in a new way as an adult. Yes. And it might lose some of its charge of fear around it because yes. it's no longer like as life-threatening as it was. Yeah, that, that's well said, you know. Well, because one, we're not in the crib anymore. Yeah. Or what yeah. or if it's anger in some way that like yeah all these ways that we can yes, kind of yes. refresh emotions to mean right. what they are now. Right. And if it's done in the therapeutic context, you're not alone, because you're not alone. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Though you might feel alone. Yeah. One might feel alone. <laughs> but it's now with another. Mm. And, and so much of therapy is all about the being with another. Yeah. Yeah, that these feelings that may have happened when we're alone or even creating aloneness through breaking off from others. Mm -hmm. Yes. That that when they open up, there's another there. Right. To receive and be with you as you connect. Right. Right. Or or there's another there that you really can't bring it toward, that, that, that you don't believe can receive it. Yeah, you know, that, I have that's, no idea what you're talking no, about. No, you don't. <laughs> no, 
no, because 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 that's you know when Freud would speak of the idea of transference, essentially what he's saying is that we have these emotional schemes, mm-hmm. you know, kind of you know understanding storylines, whatever, you know, based upon our experience that we transplant into the present, mm. and we will transplant that. So, you know, in therapy, as a person possibly begins to feel this aloneness. And then I might say, you know, and how is it for you for me to be here? The person might feel, you know, you know I can't really show it to you. Or, yeah. or I still feel alone. Even in your presence, I feel alone. And, yeah. and why would that person feel? Because they're not used to having that, you know, not being alone. Yeah, and so, you talk, yes, right. Like, right. A, like yeah. oh, I'm alone, I want to reach out. That's like, right. It seems so, but like, I'll be alone. But that's reaching out to you. That doesn't right. feel safe. That so doesn't I'm, feel safe. So I'm going to still stay in this aloneness. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then you work. Part of therapy is working to help the person undo that so that they can feel safe and that you can connect. So therapy is a, is a totally an interpersonal process. And I mm-hmm. think that's what I liked about Reich too. Reich Primal therapy seemed to be leaving the person alone more in terms of their imagery, mm. going through primals. But yeah. Reich saw, and what I took from Reich is that, you know, no, it's totally in the present, it's in the here and now, and it's between you and I. Mm. It's with the other. And the character and the defenses are defenses against contact between you in the world between you and another person primarily. And so that's what happens. That's what happens in therapy. And, and just does, you know, and that's why it spoke to me because that's what happens when you work with children. Mm. When you're with children, it's oh, totally yeah. interpersonal, yeah, right? It's right now. You know, it's right now. Even the fantasy create. is right now. Yes, right. Yeah. It is. And you're engaging right now. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the richness of therapy, whether you're working with children, young children, or adolescents, or any, you know, or any age, is really to bring that. It's going to have a different form, mm-hmm. a different age, but to bring that element of connectedness in sessions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you talk, right, like, one thing I'm drawn to is like the, mm. this notion and change the languaging to fit for you, but of the the functionality of emotions, yeah. the purpose. The, yes, that, that's... Because that's, like, oh, they're part of contact or moving yeah. through space and we cut mm-hmm. them off. We're cutting off this energy or yeah. that wants yeah. to engage or have something change. Or These are just words that are coming. Can you speak mm-hmm. to yourself oh, what mm-hmm. you see the value of these emotions are? Yeah. Like, why do we go through this work of reclaiming them or working right. through the armor? Like, okay, the <laughs> that's great questions. And functionality is, 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 is so important because Reich spoke about functionality, he called it organomic functionism. Yeah. Organomic meaning orgone, life energy. Organomic functionalism, seeing the functional, how things function from an energetic perspective. But as Reich spoke about and as pearls and gestalt therapy early on in development of gestalt therapy spoke about and this current emotion theory speaks about and this current attachment theory speaks about across the board is that all of our emotions serve a 
particular function, that we're, they're built in as ways in which we engage the world. We, it moves us toward the world. It moves us to make contact. And each emotion moves us in a certain way, either protect ourselves or learn or grow. And we oscillate between different emotions, you know, depending upon the environmental context and about what we, you know, and what we bring. And without emotions, we would not learn, grow, or engage. Without curiosity, mm -hmm. we would not approach anything. Without pleasure, we would not relax into anything. Without anger, we would not defend ourselves. Without fear, we wouldn't stop and, and, and take note, you know, or keep ourselves from difficult situations or frightening situations. Without shame, we would not then kind of control and keep ourselves maybe more within the in a societal context. I mean, every emotion without disgust, you know, we would just take in those things that aren't good for us. Every emotion in a basic emotion, these are the basic emotion, mm -hmm. has a particular function. And when we've repressed and don't allow those, we've cut a certain aspect of what we need to be as fully functional human beings from we've cut it from our ability to access that. Mm -hmm. So if we can't cry, if we can't feel sadness, we've cut our hearts off mm -hmm. from being able to have the empathy and engage and feel the other person's pain. If we can't feel disgust, and a lot of people say, wow, you shouldn't ever be disgusted, but if we can't feel disgust, you know, we can't really tune into what really doesn't work, what really seems to be something that we really don't want to go near, that is really harmful to us, <clears throat> and maybe not us, but to others in the world. Like if now, we're in a job that we don't like, like how do we know that we don't like the exactly. job? Exactly. How do we tune exactly. in and be like, well, it's this and that, and this That's quality right. and this aspect. Exactly. Right? I just hate that person. <laughs> exactly. Sure. And if we can't feel curiosity, we're not going to want to learn. You know, things are going to feel very, very boredom. So as we've armored against each of these emotions or each of these emotions in certain contexts, we've lost our degrees of freedom and we've lost the full capacity to, as humans, engage fully in the world. Yeah. And as you connect with the emotions, the pro however, the process is what you're wanting to do is get all all of you back online. Mm. So if mm -hmm. each emotion is like a different note on a musical scale, you know, you take all of the emotion or you truncated C as an as a core, as a chord. Yeah, like, like C is not allowed in this song. If not allowed, <laughs> it's going to really change, you know, the yeah. whole palette. Or, you know, if you're painting and you take away one color, that's essentially what happens with emotions. So emotions move us, they, they inform us, they move us in the world, and we need to have access to them all. And when you say that, right, there's this real value of emotions. Yes. It's sort of, they are essential in the, the making of our lives and the engaging yes. with the world and mm -hmm. meaning and all these yes. parts. But like what I've seen in myself and what I see when I work with folks myself is mm -hmm. when someone does like make contact maybe for the first time in a while yes. with one of these emotions that have been cut off yes and like all of them can be cut off for different reasons it's right like, and and in different contexts yeah there's like a yeah. whole variety of ways yes. but when they touch it yeah it seems not always but a lot of times there's something very threatening about it yes 
And there also seems to be some awareness. And this is a bit of meaning I add mm-hmm. to it that like, oh, I'm now in touch with like a three-year-old anger yeah. or a five-year-old anger. And it's not, it's not matching my other emotions now that I've had 20 years to like grow and evolve yeah. and like, yes. you know, fit into my life. And it feels like threatening. Like, is this going to overpower me? Because that's a lot of rage I'm mm-hmm. feeling. Yeah. Right. Can you like speak to like, from the subjective point of view that these emotions when we first contact them again that they are scary or they don't feel safe or like they're volatile in a way like we don't know what to do with them all yeah well well in a sense there's two aspects there's one the reason we've we've repressed them is because they've been associated with threat oh uh, yeah you know we went so to there's like a linkage that's there's happening. a linkage yeah. yeah you know we've been told your anger is frightening your anger is going to upset your parents your anger is going to drive you crazy your anger is going to do x y and z so there's a linkage between fear threat shame maybe you know and this particular emotion so once you access that you access the reason why you stopped it in the first place Mm -hmm. why you truncated why how and why you armored against it so for all of those emotions, each emotion is yes, suddenly, oh, no, I'm afraid of it, or, or I shouldn't have it, or I'm ashamed of it, or whatever. Well, it activates those contractive associative emotions that have been part of the reason that we stop it. And we also go back to when we felt it when it was more pure. You know, when you talked about the more adult emotions, oh, you, those are like diluted in a way. As you yeah, they them. are. They've been <laughs> they've been massaged and diluted, and so yeah. you know, it, one of you know one of uh, a song that I really loved, you know that that really spoke to me and spoke to me. I think because of what I felt in my own character, but also what I was reaching for, is in Peter Pan. There's that thing. I won't grow up. I don't want to be an adult or whatever, because essentially the theme was as you become an adult, you become duller. Mm. You know, you truncate your emotions. You no longer can play. You no longer can feel lively. So I want to remain a child. Mm. But my sense is that if we allow the child and free the child, we can be now as spontaneous in our own particular ways as a child you know the the kind of emotions we have that we connect with is oh this is my child emotions then become integrated and these are my emotions now Uh, you think there's a way to maintain or reconnect with the purity that yes it's diluted through yes yes uh, this process of becoming civilized or whatever yeah exactly exactly yeah freud felt it was civilization and its disconnects this discontents we have to become civilized yeah he it's saw these, these emotionality as a, a hindrance to society right. in a and, way. and reich saw it not at all he yeah. said those were the expressions of the core true self mm-hmm. and those could be continued throughout one's life but, but in a way, that's not saying to be like five-year-olds again. Like there's, there's some balance well, there. Well, 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 <laughs> well, in what way? What way do you mean like five-year-olds? Um, impulsive and um, uh, they're pretty, they can be very only able to see their own point of view. Yeah, and like, yeah because, because they're, they're, their emotions then are expressed and, and felt 
within where they are in their maturational process. Yeah, thank you. That's this piece that kind of as we mature, our relationship to these pure emotions might change and how they're expressed, but they can still be as strong or pure, but it's filtered through a different sort of development of the person almost yes yes because we're organized you know we're not you know a five-year-old like you say is egocentric you didn't use that word i was looking for it but you were looking for okay (laughs) then they're egocentric not because they're you know egoic or whatever but they're egocentric because yet their cognitive abilities in some realms have not caught up Mm -hmm. with that and you know so they see things through a certain way, but as you get mature, you know your you know your mental processes, your ability to regulate and self-regulate goes along, just the way you become taller and stronger, you know, and can do flips in the air which you couldn't do at age five, you know, or age three. All those mm-hmm. things develop, and as you develop, you know, those same emotional emotions are there. They just, as you said, said very well. They express themselves or in a different way because you're as an organism have changed mm. yeah i always guess i hold a bit of a different view and mm. par- partially it comes from uh, ken wilbur and integral uh-huh. theory it's just something that influenced me when i was younger around yes. that our emotions also go through stages of development yes mm-hmm. the, like ang- all the emotions themselves develop too but for you, it sounds like it's saying more that the person develops and the emotions get it. Well, they, they become more, through. yes, and they become more complex. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean. Yeah, I mean, that's for some, that's development, right? Like, yeah, complexity. right. They become more complex and they're, and they're experienced differently yeah. because we're not, you know, we're not the same age. And yet, again, when, when a client in my, you know, oftentimes as they, feel like oh suddenly i feel this i suddenly see more i feel brighter i feel Mm. this energy i feel this lightness in my eyes oh this is the way i was looking up into the sky when i was eight years old so in a sense in that moment it doesn't feel like it's a different emotion yeah it feels like hey i've retrieved something from the past in other words i remember but it's here right now. Yeah. So in that sense, in that with that, that emotion hasn't matured or changed. Yeah. And when you say that, the like qualities of aliveness. Yes. And immediacy and presence mm-hmm. seem to be tied into this reconnecting or yes, reclaiming. Right. I don't know the right word to say yeah, what we do right. when we well, kind of yeah. yeah, right. However you want to say it, reconnecting, reclaiming. Making yeah. contact with, bringing yeah. forth. So there's like an ability that emerges when we do this work that you're describing of working on our armor and making yeah. available the the total range of emotional mm-hmm. human experience. Yes, aliveness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. a more visceral engagement in the moment becomes mm-hmm. more like yeah. naturally available. Not that you have to manufacture it through meditating or doing different things to get there <laughs> right exactly that's right that's right you don't have to manufacture i mean you know meditating to me is a way that you train the organism to be able to remember and access it yeah. you know but you know but then once it becomes part of how the organism functions right now it's just there yeah 
Yeah. Nothing more has to be done because it's now there. Yeah. 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 So like, you know, you talked about it earlier, this sort of quality that we are an organism. And I yes. think that's a view that maybe some people like they might think, oh, we're an animal, right? It feels like we're animals. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's usually talking about like our base desires, or I mm -hmm. have this, like I need right. to have sex and I need mm -hmm. to eat. Right. Like yeah. that's my animal part. But then yeah. I'm in these other parts too. Right. Yeah. But I think you're saying more, we our whole self, our whole experience is an organism mm -hmm. and probably embedded with an environment. Like it's an organism that responds. And like, could you speak to how you see the human through an organismic lens and mm -hmm. maybe why that has value even to see yeah. ourselves that way? Mm -hmm. I remember in a training yeah. with you, another mm -hmm. kind of co-trainer mm -hmm. said like, oh, I've been thinking about myself as an organism and it's just mm -hmm. so much easier to be me when mm -hmm. I think about myself as an organism. It's less complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's very, that was very much Reich's, you know, position. And I think also... You know, going back to early Gestalt, I mean, in, in, in the book Gestalt Therapy by Paul Pearls, Hefliner, and Goodman, very much they speak about organism and the organismic stance, mm -hmm. you know, that we are essentially biological creatures, no really different than any other biological creature, just that we've evolved, that biology has evolved, we've evolved to have certain kind of capacities and organization where we express certain basic movements and functions in their own particular way, in a different way. But in the same, but we share far more in commonality than we do in differences. So, you know, when they say, you know, we, we have so much share what 97% of our DNA is shared with a worm, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, yeah. And we're not that much different than worms, or we're not that much different than amoebas. Basically, we go and we explore the world. We go to eat. We take in. We're, we contract against the environment that's threatening. We expand into the environment that's pleasurable. We sense. We have senses. We we become conditioned. We, in a sense, now we you know, or we don't know if. If amoebas make meaning of things, but we make meaning, but we make meaning of these basic physiological patterns and movements. So we're essentially organisms that share, are totally embedded in everything else that's alive. Mm. If we would really recognize that, we wouldn't be at war with nature. Yeah. We wouldn't try to dominate nature. In fact, we would really respect how we're embedded as just part of nature and as we mess up one thing, we're going to mess up another because we're all integrated in that particular way. But we don't recognize that or some of us don't or Western society it has it. It seems like our culture isn't our culture recognizing it. It's not on, recognizing that. Based and on because, what the world looks like. <laughs> that's right. If we would recognize that, there wouldn't be such separation between people. Mm, mm hmm you know, because yeah, again, even politically, as we're even politically, living, living right now, yes, it's like two be, different organisms, right? This right, party and that party, right? Or the whole concept of race and and yeah. all these prejudices and all this othering that yeah. goes on. You know, if we really recognize that and could feel it, I don't mean just recognize it intellectually, but actually feel the commonality of that. I think we would be transformed. Again, yeah. it would be you know, having this contact with, with others and contact with this just basic 
pulsating life energy. So we're just, we're organisms. And I think for me, that does simplify things. Yeah. You know, we, we make things complicated as human beings. And Reich would say that, you know, some things are intricate, but we complicate things as part of armoring. Mm-hmm. And some things are fairly simple. You know? Yeah. So like in the, the simple notion of us being organisms. Yeah. What are qualities of that simplicity, even as we move through life? Like, what do you think are sort of these basic ways well, of attuning to ourselves as organisms? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, the emotions are simple, mm-hmm. you know, the basic emotions. And then they're how they become then, you know, kind of, I guess, transformed or, or expressed or whatever. So a simple, when we're interested in something and we can feel our interest, we move toward it. Mm-hmm. Okay. When we're tired, we retreat. Okay. When we feel a yearning, we reach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When we feel, you know, as you said earlier, the way you described it in terms, when we feel disgusted and we know there's something wrong, we move away. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, when we feel frightened, we stop. Yeah. When we feel when we feel we're under threat, we get angry and put up a barrier. We harden. Okay, basic kind of things. And then when the environment changes, we let go. Mm. Yeah. So we are in sync with what happens in the environment. What happens with armor is that we get stuck. You know, mm-hmm. we get stuck in repetitive patterns. You know, we're stuck in an emotional scent. We, we remain armored, so we remain angry, or we remain frightened, or we remain sad as a defense against the full flow of emotions. Because emotions and feelings are always in movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even as we talk, you know, there's change in, 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 in how our voices are, and we stop, and we pull back. I get excited about something. You get excited. You mm-hmm. move toward, and then you move away. There is this flow, and change, and fluidity of emotions. Mm-hmm. If we could honor that organismic sense in ourselves, you know, that's we we just be engaged in life in that particular way. But when we can't, you know, then you know, then we're cut off, and then. Yeah, I hear you saying in a way there, like if you can be with this simple or this basic quality of an organism that is has an intelligence in the way that it moves through life it does it has an intelligence that we can more like dynamically flow with the changing quality of experience so it's always moving and changing if you're not armored you're not kind of fighting against that movement exactly you say things far better than i do i really like the way you pull it together you train me okay (laughs) okay Uh, um when when you're talking about this like one thing i'm thinking about is just myself and other humans that it seems like we we turn our organisms against ourselves yeah like we're, Mm -hmm. we're like fighting our organismic nature yeah and then almost like even people that maybe get into change or self-help or like mm-hmm. modern kind of life hacking, you know, that yeah. we're like, mm. 
we're trying to change from like one armor to another armor. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't like this armor that eats mm-hmm. food at night and watches Netflix. I want the armor that like wakes up in the morning and like mm-hmm. is productive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> makes more money. So I'm gonna make these habits to get me yeah. this new armor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so this is just what's yeah. coming up for me. That's Andrew. true. That that is so true. Can yeah, you speak yeah. to this? Like, what? Why does our organism almost turn on itself, and we like feel it, right? Like our negative thoughts yeah, right. towards ourselves, or yeah. slapping our wrist, or yeah. shame, right after yeah. we talk. Like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. I shouldn't have been yeah. like that. Yeah. Why did I do that? Well, I think we've introjected. You know, we've taken in the way the environment turned on us. Mm. The message was, "Don't trust." The yeah. message was, "This feeling state." This energetic state, this movement is wrong. This is a threat. So we sort of basic organismic process is not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. So then we take that in, and then it's a threat. And Mm -hmm. so if it's a threat, we've got to turn on it. Yeah. You know, it seems like we got a lot of cool strategies for doing that. For yes, we do. We have a lot of very clever in how to make ourselves suffer for these like very basic organismic processes. Right. Well, we are very clever organisms. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, a basic organism has very only a few degrees of movement. We have many degrees of movement and we're very clever and we can use that cleverness, as you say, to make ourselves suffer. You know, to keep ourselves, you know, in line. So what would you say just like, you know, for the somebody that wants to return to this like trust in their organism, but they've been clever for a long time and like turning the organism against themselves. Like what, what do you think are some basic things that people can do to sort of almost reclaim the naturalness of their body? Or I don't know what you want to call it, but just being with experience more fully. Yeah. Well, you know, I I think, I think, I mean, one of the things now versus when, when I first got into this field is that so many more things are available. The whole idea of looking towards one organism, you know, kind of coming to one's body, not in just in terms of I'm going to make it a certain way, you know, but I'm going to make contact with it, or I'm going to ease it. I'm going to recognize what stress does to it. I'm going to try to breathe into it. All of those things are so much more available. Mm-hmm. I mean, yoga, which is so prevalent now and, and has so many benefits, was just, I mean, you know, there was one show on on. on OP that wasn't OP, you know, just like yeah. public public TV, mm-hmm. one person. I mean, it was so on the fringe. All of this was on the fringe. It's so much more in the zeitgeist. It's so much more here right now. And I think there are so many ways that we can learn about how to, you know, how to breathe, how to relax, how to recognize when we are, you know, turning against ourselves. Mm. So... So, so for you, it's a basic sort of catching it, like seeing the process of turning against yeah. ourselves and relaxing and maybe having curiosity. Yeah, and, 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 and then seeing where we've been uh, indoctrinated by ideas <laughs> in our environment. You Thank know? you for bringing that yes. strong yeah. word in that there. Strong I love word. that. That's right. 
that we've been know? indoctrinated to like hold our bodies and our emotions in a certain way. That's, that's right. That's right. We're not supposed to feel alive. We're not supposed to feel sexual. We're not supposed to love. We're not supposed to hate. We're not yeah. supposed to run. What the fuck we're... is left? What can we actually feel or do? <laughs> that's right. Well, that's right. So we can't. The more we do that, the less we can feel and do. And then we become more disembodied and more separate from what it is to be an organism, what it is to have our emotion. We get stuck in one emotion and not emo another emotion. So to be able to be see those kind of indoctrinations and how we are getting those messages so much all the time and how, you know, some messages are messages that align ourselves to ourselves and some messages are ones to, to separate ourselves. Yeah, so you, you think there's like maybe a type of inventory that we almost could do to, to become aware of these subtle messaging yeah, but, but very early. Right, but but it's hard because, we, because we're living in it. Mm -hmm. When we're embedded in something, it's hard to see it from the outside. Yeah, but hence yeah. the need for maybe like therapists or healers and yeah. stuff. Therapists, healers, meditation, those things that, that take us into another biophysical state another relational state mm -hmm. and therefore allow us to step out and begin to see ourselves and feel ourselves in a different way. And once we have those different experiences, then we have these anchor points. Then we can say, wait a minute, that's not true because I felt it here. Yeah. You know, it's different, but it's in, it's in therapy. And I guess in, in all the, it's, it's through the relationship, it's learning and helping somebody else guide us. And by guide us, my sense of guiding is not so much like, I'm going to show you from the outside, but I'm going to help what's inside emerge. Mm. And as it emerges, then you recognize other possibilities. And then you see where the messages are false, or I've been indoctrinated. Have you ever seen anyone like kind of get in contact with what's under the surface? It starts emerging and them being disappointed in it or not liking it or it being a bad thing for them. Cause it seems so often we like, it, it feels threatening to engage yeah, these sort right. of lost parts. Yeah. yeah. Like does, and like, I, I feel like a younger therapist. I tell you like, it hasn't gone bad yet, but I don't know. <laughs> well, 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 but, 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 but help me that when you say it hasn't gone bad, what do you mean? Um, that's a good question. Thank you. Um, like, uh, it just can feel threatening on a level to, to re-engage. Re yes. And what I see for myself and most people being like half-baked on whatever this journey is. Yeah that it's more alive and it, it feels so much better. Yeah. And, but from the other side, right? Like maybe if somebody hasn't is curious or like, I want to try this out. I want to re-engage. I want to connect and reclaim mm -hmm. my body mm -hmm. and my emotions. Yeah. But it feels really scary. Yes. And almost like wanting some reassuring words for those folks. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. like could you, like if you were given a pitch, like this is why you should do this. Like what yeah. would you say to someone that's sort of like, like, should I reconnect? Like, I don't know. This feels like a lot of work. Well, I feel right. scary. Well, I don't well, know what's I, there. What, what I would, monsters in the closet. What, what, what I would say is that's all true. You know, I would say oh. that's, that's all true. And I would never give a pitch. Never a pitch. Never a pitch. Okay. No, 
because yeah, that yeah. that would make put me as, as kind of assuming that I know what's best like or I know be a this new indoctrinator right. yourself exactly exactly yeah. so now you'll be the good patient or the the person that get does the another way that they're supposed to live and within that though you you do a work that mm -hmm. helps people contact in a way because I imagine you find it beneficial and helpful mm -hmm. for others yeah yeah yes yeah. right yeah well a person comes to me because you know they have some difficulties they you know and and I engage them in a way that I believe will help them at some point not have those difficulties yeah and you know it's very simple just help people with the difficulties they have yeah 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 yeah, yeah. cool yeah um, within Reich's work, uh, it seems like orgone, and like his his word for energy, right? Yes, or, and it orgone. was for him. It was or, organismic, organ. No, not, yeah, organism. orgiastic, orgiastic. That was the okay, word orgastic, yeah. orgastic. Well, yeah. you know, for him, there was a, a life energy. Life energy. It was a life energy. He called it orgone energy yeah. because it was organic. Mm -hmm. From it was in the organism. Okay. It was a sexual energy. He didn't differentiate. He felt all life was sexual. I mean, you know, what propagates like life? Like how else did we get here? How else did we get here? You know, so, or, you know, that, and, you know, so there, this process of living is a sexual process. It may not be a genital process, you know, but it's a sexual process. And, and, and this life energy is all around us. And he felt that, the emotions and the feelings were essentially our internal experience of energy moving through us in certain ways, mm. you know, and, and like almost and, emotions are one of the vehicles through which this energy moves or one of the, the prisms that sort of fractals out the energy. Exactly. So I think so. I think that's a better way. It's a, one of the prisms. You yeah. know, I mean, as, as energy moves us in a certain way, we experience that way into as an emotion. And, it's, and it, then it becoming coded in us, those particular, because we know we have specific emotion centers, you know, kind of like emotional patterns and different areas of the brain that, you know, if triggered will bring up certain feeling states. Oh, like you can put an electrode in the brain. Yeah, or chemicals. You know, and then I want to get angry or yeah, something. Right, or chemicals in us. Mm -hmm. You know, so so all of these basic things become kind of encoded in ourselves, but they're all basic expressions of how energy moves in the world and moves as an energy within an organism. Reich also felt that that energy moves in the whole total atmosphere. So like chi prana yeah you know, we're sort of swimming in this energy we are rest. swimming in the energy and yeah. and in some ways the energy connects us all and you know and, and in a sense we're all connected yeah but almost the armoring that blocks the energy it stops the movement of the energy in another on maybe on some level disconnects us from the energy around us and we lose yes. some sense of participating in a yes, we, we sort lose of the, vibrant field of aliveness. Yeah, that's almost. right. Sure. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you're a leaf and there's a wind, you know, to really be feeling and participating in the wind, you've got to be able to move. But yeah. if you're rigid, 
you can't really move with it. So we're cut off from the environment in that particular way. Or if that leaf, you know, doesn't have enough substance to it that it just gets blown away, mm -hmm. it can't really vibrate in a certain particular way. So yes, either we, we don't have enough solidity or we have too much solidity. You know, either we're not rigid enough or too rigid enough. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because we often when we think of armoring, we think of it in the, the in rigid, the rigid, right? Yeah, we're repressed or we're cut yeah. off. But for, there's also having too uh, too porous, too open. Yeah, that's too right. Much energy flowing that it's dysregulating almost for the right. person. Yeah, yeah. That we really can't contain the energy or feel the energy in the kind of state or the emotion. So we run from it. You know, uh, or yeah. we disassociate from it or, or separate ourselves from it or throw it to someone else <laughs> or throw it to why not why not <laughs> you take this one please <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but but there is this energy so you know and that's why Reich eventually called his work orgone therapy he didn't call it reikian therapy he called it orgone therapy because he believed in the essence as you're working to undo the character and biophysical armor, what you're doing is you're freeing up the organism, freeing up the person to fully allow the energy to naturally move. And the organism to naturally, in that movement, pulsate, expand and contract, expand mm. and contract into the world. And you know, that's, that's what happens in therapy. And, and for you or for Reich, like, is that energy like a neutral quality that just sort of is and it moves through us? Or does it have, because like, it sounds like there's a trust in it. Like you open up to this energy yeah. and that's mm -hmm. going to be a good, I don't know if good thing is the right word, but like well, more well, alive yeah. or more enriching maybe. Yeah, well, maybe not. You know, you open up to that energy and you feel the pain of the world. Yeah. You know, necessarily as you unarmor that doesn't mean you're going to feel good yeah you know you you we armor to protect ourselves from negative feelings from painful feelings but the world offers us painful feelings it's all as around us. it's all around us so as you become more in touch with your emotions you know you can be and probably will be in touch with the pain of the yeah. world yeah. you know the shock of the world you know, yeah. the horror in the world. So not necessarily you're going to feel better. And yeah, Reich yeah. was very clear about that. Yeah. Uh, so there's an, in a way, when we open up, we're, we're opening up to life. To life. Yeah. Right. Opening up to life, opening up to nature, opening up to... Yeah, and I guess, I guess what I'm trying to get at, I don't think I'm quite touching it very well, is like Reich seems very life-affirming. Yes, yeah. Like they're like, and for me, there's an element of trust or something there. Like, yeah, right. And I, I wonder if you just speak to that quality, that life affirming or what, that stance, it seems almost to kind of. Yeah, well, well, you know, I mean, if life in nature, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. you know, we are parts of nature. So what we're doing is connecting to nature and to parts of it. So that's life affirming because we are life. All we are is life. Mm -hmm. So that affirms it. But if you mean life affirming is that that's going to necessarily lead to 
always feeling good or always pleasant and stuff like that. Yeah. No, because this isn't lot, another drug that you can take. <laughs> it's not another drug that you can take because we see in nature that nature from the human perspective is cruel. Mm -hmm. You know, the hurricane comes and wipes things out. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there's pain in nature. Okay. And, but we're part of nature. So, you know, so maybe the best in life to live life is to embrace and be part of all of it. Yeah. And both, both sides of it, the yin and the yang, right? Mm -hmm. You know, which flows into one another. How can you have one without the other? You know, in Gestalt, there's the figure ground, yeah. you know, there's the background and the foreground. You can't have one without the other. So it all flows together. Yeah, I really appreciate what you're saying in this sort of, you know, as I'm hearing it, that really, in one way, it's about returning to our natural selves, like being a part of mm -hmm. nature. Yeah. And that there's some value there mm -hmm. in, in re reconnecting or reclaiming ourselves mm -hmm. as inherently embedded and a part mm -hmm. of nature. Yeah. And that through that, we might maybe get something out of it, but it, it might have a cost too, like it being yeah. open and hurt, like the pain of the world. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or when we connect with our needs, right? Like having to hurt others to meet our needs or whether yeah. that's like ending a relationship because you become clear that it's not working. That's or, right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And feeling it and yeah. feeling it, feeling it not only for ourselves, but feeling it for the other person. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, you know, the, the a, a term that's used a lot now uh, was used less was vulnerability. I'm making myself vulnerable, you yeah. know, and that's often I think meant is that we're feeling certain states that we didn't want to feel. Yeah. You know? And oftentimes it's around hurt or hurts of the world. I'm vulnerable to it, yeah. you know, but, you know, that's, you know that's softening into really what life is. Yeah. yeah, like we're becoming vulnerable to nature or to life. Yeah, right. Yeah. When we open up to the fullness of the human yeah. experience. Yeah, right. And in that sense, we become more like children going back, kind yeah. of, re, you know, coming back to that circle. Young children, you know, yeah. you see them responding fluidly. Mm. And being vulnerable to, to joy, to sorrow, to hurt, to anger, you know, yeah. to fear, you know, and moving from one state to another. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I'm really connecting as we talk, this sort of fluidity and flow. Yes. That like being in touch with the human, organismic, natural experience, whatever mm -hmm. we call it, is, is this dynamic flowing experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like sort of like getting on board for the ride more than anything. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, that's what it is. It's getting on board for the ride, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, there's a study I really love. I wish I had more of the facts down, but they got a bunch of Tibetan Buddhists in a room uh -huh. and they had a screen in front of them, right, where they showed them random images, but they yeah. weren't so random. They were like pictures of a baby playing with a balloon. Yeah. And then the other one would be like a hole in the ground 
But when you look in the hole, there's dead bodies there. Yeah. And they would kind of flip through these different emotional yeah. landscapes. Yes. And what they found they were shocked by was that these kind of advanced super yeah. meditators in Tibet, yeah. right? They're not in Nepal now, but they, uh, they like felt the emotion twice as strong almost as yeah. the average person, mm -hmm. but it dropped but down so much quicker. Yes. Like it was like they felt it and then it was done. Yes. But the yeah. control group that they studied, just the average humans that like slowly ramped up and then kind of got stuck for yeah. a while and slowly faded down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, I kind of like what you're saying though. Like we don't get to bypass these negative feelings yeah. or the difficult feelings. Yeah. It's actually mm -hmm. like feeling them more fully almost or like yeah. being more fully in them. Yeah. But then in that, maybe we don't kind of get as stuck with them that they can come and go more freely. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Would that be well, well, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I hear the question in, in the statement there. You know, it's like, I mean, the way I interpret that, because you know, yeah, I was wondering, well, how do you way. interpret that? How do you interpret it? Is that they had trained themselves to really be in contact in their whole being mm -hmm. with what was in front of them. Yeah. And they're, so they're being reacted. They felt it. But then as that faded, as that went away, then what was new, they could be in contact with again. Yeah. So their organism was like a tuning fork. You know, when the when C came, it resonated. But then as another note came, it resonated something different. And it wasn't holding on. It wasn't in the memory. I still got to resonate like this. Yeah, no, the last image was bad. I got to I got to feel I, bad about that's that. That's right. That's right. And it's now wasn't only a mental thing. It's like the organism still was holding on. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yes, that that's kind of like it is, and that's how it is much more with children. When you see a child, they do something, and then they're frightened, and then they go to their parent. You know, their attachment. They figure. see comfort quickly. They see comfort, and once they're comforted, they're back out again. And what, how could that be? You were just crying so deeply. You were just so crying. It was so much in pain, and now you're jumping up and down and yelling and and, and happy. How did yeah. that happen? Because there was the fluidity there, and they could return back to other experience. But we, when we're armored, when we're cut off, we get locked. In gestalt, there is a term, a fixed gestalt, a fixed gestalt, where we, we get locked in a, a, you know, kind of like a way in which we've organized something, and we can't let go of that to be with what's new, yeah. with what emerges that's new. And so we can't, as these Tibetan monks did, that we can't just kind of like fully be with and then let go. And in a sense, to me, another interpretation is that's what letting go is. Yeah. Now, I'm, I imagine that at those moments, they weren't telling themselves, hmm, I need to let go of this. Oh, I should thing. really let go of this. I should now. really let go. They oh, that's my like, training. I'm supposed that's to, right. I'm a meditator. I'm, I let right. go of things. That's right. I'm <laughs> practicing letting go is that their organism now let go. Yes. Yeah, that we like sometimes top down tell ourselves like let go, surrender, accept. Yes, right. But yeah. maybe it's more in the, the visceral, fully yeah, right. embodying it that it lets go. Yeah, right. And and sometimes that's frustrating. That's fr frustrating to clients. I'm told I should let go, but I don't know how to let go. What's wrong with me? Why can't I let go? And what does it even mean to let go? And you know, 
<laughs> and it's like, yeah, what does it mean? And yeah, it's like, well, what know, do you want to let go? Then let's that's talk right. About that. <laughs> and I can't, you know. Yeah. Oh, why don't you let go? Just so now I feel bad. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Because, you know, you know, now I feel guilty that I can't do it. I'm supposed to do it. And yeah. Do you still like me? Am I a good client? <laughs> that's right. Really, really. And, yeah. you know, so that that also speaks to, you know, a process. You know, you started out saying that, you know, you see me as a person who does therapy well or, you know, however, you know, it's like one of the things that I've learned or seems true to me is that the imposition upon others of this is the way you're supposed to be mm -hmm. is harmful. Yeah. Even if in the long run, it would be better if that person was doing that, we think. Yeah, like if but, you were more fluid, you'd probably be happier, but that right. imposition itself. Hey, that's right. Yeah. That's right. It's that imposition. So we give messages. And I think, you know, therapists fall into this, you oh. know, what are they doing? They're doing psychoeducation or something like that. We're telling you, you know, but, you know, that doesn't, that's not how we discover ourselves. That's not how we become fluid. Mm. Yeah, you for know? you, it's bringing someone in contact with themselves. And these exactly. qualities yeah. emerge from that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 So if a person says, I don't know what it means to let go, you know? They're not going to hear from me, well, you should let go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. why, why, why haven't you let go yet? We've done this for 10 sessions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I want to sh shift yeah. back, and yeah, maybe sure. this will be one of the last sort of chunkier things okay. we talked sure. about, but earlier when you were talking about Reich, these sort of maybe two threads of the way that we armor mm -hmm. kind of get stuck, you know, as yeah, we've been talking yeah. about. Mm -hmm. But then civilization or culture, mm -hmm. like in culture as part of the indoctrinator. Yes. yes. But, but I'm curious from a, maybe a little bit of a different angle too, that like, let's say we do free ourselves a bit or we're yes. more in contact. Mm -hmm. We seem to still be in a rigid culture in ways. Yes. And yes. it's hard to know how much of that is our perception, right? That we've been mm -hmm. conditioned to right. think a culture is a certain way. Right. And how much is actually like inherent to the culture. Mm -hmm. if there is such a thing, mm -hmm. but like what, like, how does someone that, you know, starts to open up, like, contend with maybe the the character of the culture? I don't, yeah. I don't know if this is enough to kind of get you talking. No, but sure. That's all well, I, I think that's really, that's really important. And it kind of goes back to, you know, the question or this, you know, you know, there's something inherently maybe negative or painful about undoing armoring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do it to fit in, mm -hmm. you know, when we, when we undo it, we notice that some of the things come of the aspects of culture that we're fitting in really doesn't fit. It doesn't really resonate with us, you know, and so that makes things more distressing, mm -hmm. you know, before it wasn't distressing because we were just part of it. Or it yeah, was distressing, but it came out in symptoms. It came out in depression or unhappiness or anxiety or whatever. That brings a person into therapy, you know. But as they become closer to themselves, now, okay, well, I'm no longer depressed in that particular way. But now I recognize that this doesn't fit right. This doesn't feel right. This is antithetical to my being. Now I'm depressed in a different way, or now I'm confronted with a problem in a different way. What do I do? 
you mentioned earlier, well, sometimes people have to leave, you know, relationships or leave jobs or whatever. I've got to change my environment, but that's hard. Mm -hmm. That can cause stress and distress to others, to oneself. So, you know, so sometimes people kind of say, wait a minute, I, I just want to shut this down and go back. Ignorance, yes. if we call ignorance, is bliss in a sense. You go back to thinking this was maybe my yeah, fault right. or like I'm depressed. I am depressed, not I'm right. participating yeah, in a right. culture that generates depression. That's right. That's right. You know, but yeah. when we start seeing what it is, you know, in the culture, then then we also become feel we can feel powerless. You know, the culture is big. You and know, this was like very parallel for Reich too, right? He became very involved in culture at one point. At I one mean, point. Maybe he felt that too. <laughs> yes, <move>. that's right. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you know, his he began his work between World War One and World War Two, and and he saw very clearly the rise of Nazism, you know, the the change of of more of a life socialism to communism, mm -hmm. and he saw, you know, how these forces of culture, and you know, led to people embracing these totalitarian ideas, which were very much anti-life. He was an advocate early on of sexual freedom and free contraceptions and against the laws against homosexuality and things, all that were happening in the 30s in a very progressive Germany. You know, but simultaneously there were these counter forces, the stronger forces of repression and fascism and all of that. And he saw how that became manifested and was manifested in families and whatever and and what it was, what it did. Yeah. And so, you know, he was very political at first, but then he he began to really begin to feel that unless we change ourselves in a way, we're not going to be able to really resonate and see what is happening in the environment, in our cultures. We're too embedded in those oh, particular things. I like that perspective, almost through the changing of ourselves, we can more clearly see the culture we're embedded in. Yeah. We, and we like know see. what maybe need could change or needs that's, to change. That's right. And and see and feel how harmful it is. Yeah. You know? I yeah. mean, you know, when, when I think about you know, what we talk about in terms of what happened to the children at the Mexican border and the way children were put into the way they say cages or places, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you have a feeling for children and really have a feeling that we're all organisms and really can, how can you allow that? How can you rationalize that in any way, shape or form? But once you cut yourself off from that, then you can rationalize it. Oh, we're keeping these horrible people out of the country. Oh, you know, they were breaking the law, all these things. But to do that, we've got to separate ourselves from the pain. Mm. To do that, we've got, but when we don't, then we really see about the kind of cultural environment of that particular, you know, that is being expressed in those particular laws. You yeah. know, as we begin to see, you know, in terms of, and I think that's what's amazing right now in terms of what's come out in this country and, you know, in other parts of the country in terms of how we're seeing how, racism and sexism and all of that, how it's permeated our culture in ways that we've been blind to. Mm -hmm. But yeah. as we begin to see that and feel that, it's like, shit, man, 
this is what we've been living in. Yeah. Yeah, there's been a reckoning. A reckoning. Yeah. And then we've got to make some change. And then, yeah. But that's not easy. That's not easy to do. So I almost hear from you like that this reclaiming of the organismic body mm -hmm. is a radical endeavor that has the possibility to change culture. Yes. Not in like a static, here's how we should change culture. But if we're individually reconnecting our bodies, we're all going to move differently within culture. It's, again, beautifully said. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's not going to come from some ideation. Yeah, like, oh, we sh it should be like this. Or That's we should right. Do this, That's or right. Because the like equation that. says X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. But because we feel it, we know it. Yeah. Yeah, this is something I think about a lot in like very different language. Um, like I think about us as being part of like that there's a song there's like the song of the earth mm -hmm. and we're all a part of that song we have our yes. own sort of yeah. note to play or yeah. whatever like melody yes. in the song mm -hmm. and as we get cut off from ourselves we're cut off from our song yeah and that when we reconnect we connect to our song and that the, the earth needs all of our songs yeah. in order to function yeah. in order to be like for the harm harmonics yeah. to yes. come through yeah so yeah. for, for me, I'm like interpreting what you're saying is like reclaiming our song. And then as we do that, mm -hmm. like the world or culture might change in ways that we can't plan or expect. Because yeah. we're, we're just a small little piece of it. But if we're all doing it and then it comes together, yeah. like it might look a little different. That's my yeah. sort of hopefulness yeah. there at least. Well, well, I love that. I think I think this it's so true what you're saying, you know, and it also like so much. So I often think about the human organism or all organisms were musical instruments. Yeah, and you like know, science is saying that now, right? And that's what's poly polyvagal nerve, right? Yes. Being a tone and we're toning our body. Yeah, sure, sure. But but even prior to the polyvagal nerve, yeah. just organisms, you know, before they had an autonomic nervous system, you know, we vibrate, yeah. you know, and so we live in vibration. Energy is vibration. Yeah. You know? And energy is, a, and it's a song. So we are all songs. I love that, what you're saying. Yeah. And we're connected as a greater song, mm -hmm. a greater pulsation. Yeah. And um, almost if you want to be a song, yeah. Like if you want to vibrate, right now at least, mm -hmm. it might hurt a little bit because you're going to hit some oh, harmonics yeah. that don't feel so good in your oh, body. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, it will hurt. Yeah, so you can cut off and then yeah. you don't get to play your instrument. That's right. But That's if you right. want to be a player, like you're going yeah. to open up to some disharmonics yeah, right. these days. Well, you not only don't get to play your instrument, but you get caught off. You cut off from the totality. Yeah. Yeah. That's this piece that's hard for, like, I want to be able to talk about as we're together. And yeah. it feels so vital. Yeah. It's quality, like, as we connect to ourselves, ourselves, our organ, our life energy, mm -hmm. we then are connected to life all around us and like yeah. loneliness and all these things we suffer from might be different mm -hmm. if we felt ourselves sort of embodied as participating in a living organism right this That's large right. organism of life yes yes yeah, yeah. i think it well it would be different yeah. it could not otherwise but be different yeah yeah and like what that world would look like if we're if we're part of this thing and it's yes. a part of us and yeah. each one right. of us we know is a part of it and like yeah what it would look like what it would feel like yeah. yeah how would we experience both our own individuality and our own connectedness both yeah. of which is true yeah 
Yeah, I, you're making me think of this moment I had. Maybe in the fall, I I took some psilocybin mushrooms on a mountain by myself, mm-hmm. and I felt the 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 presence of like a. He felt like he was from the land, like someone from the land. Yeah. I didn't see him or anything. I just kind of uh, yeah. felt him there. Yeah. And he just said like one line to me was, we were a joyous people. Uh-huh. And, it, uh, you know, it really made me reflect on my own ideas of change and like mm-hmm. returning to nature as we're talking yes. about, which are very yeah. like central to who I am, mm-hmm. is that I can, it can get dark in my head a little bit. Yeah. Like, I got to do this thing because the world's fucked. And it's yeah. like, like, you know, and then this other view, like, oh, it's joyous, like vibrating right. in this joyous right. sort of participatory field. And yes. Yeah. yeah. These just come through as you talk to me. I don't really know how to, I, I'm grasping how to say no, it. But no, it's... but but you're in sync with it. I mean, you know, embedded in that is joy. Yeah. I mean, you know, the right comes from Freud and Freud had the pleasure principle. Mm-hmm. You know, and that yeah. we're moved by the pleasure principle. You know, joy is there. Young children, and again, going back to children, why I loved working with children, there's all the pain and stuff, but there is the joy. Children more are willing to show joy. Yeah. And if they're free, joy is probably in pleasure more, greater percentage of their existence. Yeah. And never very far away. And never far away. Beautifully. It's never far away. And again, going back to what we were saying, that it's not like we've left the child behind. It's still on us. Joy for us is potentially never far away. Yeah. Oh, that feels like a beautiful place to end. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh Yeah, joy is never far away. Never far away. Yeah. Are there any last words or anything you just want to say as we're here? No, No. well, I just, you know, I really appreciated. Yeah. I appreciated our conversation. Oh, I appreciate you. Thank yeah. you for well, thank you. stepping and into this conversation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, you know, again, I say you're the way you listened and reflect and hear and process just br- brought me more, brought some of what I think and feel out in a way that feels really good. Yeah, even I really appreciated when I was leaning towards the good yeah. of reconnecting and you're like yeah. whoa 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 it's not all good and i'm like oh yeah 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 that's true thank you mm-hmm. <laughs> yes but then you brought it you brought it back to the joy so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like the and I, I think what i'm trying to say too is like when we're cut off our joys might be these small joys right? yes like, of course like the oh, i get to watch tv at the end of the day or whatever like i'm gonna exactly. go on a sauna tonight i'm really yeah. excited about that right yeah but maybe there's this other joy that's just like part of being alive there is not only maybe, I believe it. Yeah. And then like when we open ourselves up, we become part of that field of joy. That's right. That maybe yeah. we're joyous when we're sorrow. We're joyous yeah. when we hurt, like because we're alive. Yeah. I'm not so sure about that part. I, I for yeah. me it's this piece of like you feel alive and there's something there. Yeah. Right. Okay. Maybe yeah, that's you don't, for you don't, maybe you that's for yeah, yeah, that's yeah, for another uh, conversation. And we get then. to have yeah. difference. <laughs> a, you know. Yes. Yes. And 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 that is so important. Yeah. 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 Cool. That we that we get to have difference. Thank you so much, Daniel. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you got something out of that conversation between Daniel and I. 
some things you can bring with you that might support your own aliveness, your own vitality, and at least acknowledging that when we're alive, it does hurt. It's not all about being happy or feeling good. And that living fully comes with a cost of being impacted by the world. You know, in the end there, Daniel and I have a bit of a, uh, not a disagreement, but difference around, you know, when there's real pain and sorrow. I made the case that there's still joy there. A joy in the aliveness of being in touch with ourselves. And, you know, I got to say, uh, I think Daniel's right. <laughs> I had a really kind of difficult last couple of weeks. I touched some a really excruciating pain inside. It, it was quite quite a lot. You know, the word I can use to capture it is agonizing. And there was like a four-hour window when I think some old developmental trauma, some old early wounding opened up, and it was just too much for me. I, I could not stay with it. You know, and I would try. I used all my tricks. And it was just a lot. And you know, there was no joy. It was pain. So I want to give Daniel a little credit for being right there. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I hope you're well. Hope you're good. I hope life is flowing freely through you. And you feel like you're able to move in the world in a way that honors who you are. All right, be well. Thank you. Mm -hmm.